following podcast contains information and opinions that are solely the views of the hosts and guests and are not intended to represent employers, organizations, or other entities with which the participants may be affiliated or associated. We hope you enjoy Military Historians are People Too. So are you done? Yeah, so I was actually, so I, I say I'm alive, but I actually was on sabbatical this year. <laughs> so oh, it's just <laughs> I know, <laughs> but somehow things haven't gotten any less busy. I don't know how that works, but um, anyway, yeah. so yeah, I am not in the same situation that you you are, and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I don't know what it was about this semester, but um, I've heard that the last four weeks, it's just exhausting. Yeah, truly exhausting. Yeah, so, yeah, it's probably all COVID, you know. Related. I don't know. I'm kind of done blaming COVID for it. Are you? Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. I'm, I'm over that. Um, I th- it's just. Okay. Like, you hear me now? Yeah. You're good, man. All right. Good. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. That's this is why right. I'm a Mac person. <laughs> With Macs, you don't have this like, we're going to restart and it's going to take 35 minutes for the computer to, to boot back up. So, yeah. uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brian, Sabrina, Sabrina, Brian. Good morning. Sabrina, nice to meet you. Thanks. Uh, well, look, Sabrina, I know you're, you're, she, Brian, she's been on sabbatical. I saw that when I was doing uh, my research, you know, I, Oh no, you're doing research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say, um, you there's okay. So Sabrina Thomas is a fairly common name, right? And there's a and, couple of colors and it was hard to find information specifically about you. Like usually I can track down stuff on people pretty easily, but there's not, a lot of stuff. I have some stuff that I kind of like, I'm 75% sure that it's you. So I'll ask you about some of that stuff. Um, okay. <laughs> Perfect. Well, if it's about like, uh, there's some, some scholar who does like a lot of science medical study work and I keep getting emails for her. Yeah. Not me. Like, someone at Duke. Is there? Okay. With your name. Yeah. And, and I think they do something, maybe something related to counseling and you have the, the, okay. MS and counseling. And so I think there's like some, some overlap there, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, that's cool. But I'll take Duke. Sure. Yep. All right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you'll see all my, I have a ton of animals that have decided they are supporting me today. So all right, we're very pro. I see a dog back there. So we're very pro dog. Yeah. Yeah, And I have another one. Anyway. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Oh yeah. The dog's staying put that. Nope. He's gone. There you go. We took Bruno to um, get to the groomer yesterday and, you know, we said, go ahead and skin him. It's, uh, it's summer down here. So he looks really, really weird. Yeah. They did the like kind of poodle cut on him. So uh, it's kind of (laughs) freaky. So he's two now, huh? He's two. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And uh, yeah, he's, he's actually calming down a little bit. Spends most of it, especially when it's hot like this. He spends most of his time just kind of chilling out, laying on yeah. the floor. Uh, we got to check in cold with spot. Uh, Amy and check in on Freddie. Yeah, yeah. Get a Freddie, get a Freddie update. Yeah. Um, I don't see Freddie getting better. I think he's going to be a pretty rambunctious dog. Yeah, I think between Amy and David, I think they're. Yeah, yeah they probably spoil him too much. So. Uh, okay. 
Shall we go? Yep. I'm ready. They just started mowing. Yep. I'm ready. Is that a, is that a <laughs> gaming chair? It is. <laughs> game, but it's like super comfortable and ergonomical or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what I use. That's so funny. <laughs> Only men real, um, ask that question. You know, I, I'm not a gamer, <laughs> but I um, have back in the, the days when we went completely on Zoom for Georgia yeah. Southern. So many of my male students were sitting in those chairs whenever we uh, were doing Zoom. And uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing that, but yes, it is a gaming chair that most of them have, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, let me do a couple of shout outs. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, let's see. First off, University Press of Kansas, always a big supporter. Uh, check them out at kansaspress.ku.edu. Uh, let's shout out to our fellow pods, uh, Phil Shack Shackelford's Modern Scholar, brand new yeah. thing. Well, he's been working hard on that. He's been really he has been hard. He's better with uh, graphics and stuff than we are. Yeah, uh, much. Yeah, he's yeah. A, he's at a whole different <laughs> level. Um, uh, I'm not even sure if we qualify as gifted amateurs, but no amateurs. Uh, Kelly DeVries, Bowen Blade, really got to check that out. I listened to a few of those. They're really pretty fun. Yeah, he really because you, you can imagine Kelly gets really yeah, he's a fun guy. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Jackie Witt's War Room at the Army War College. Do check that out and support pods wherever you can. So that's, that's my shout outs. You got anything? No, um, just, uh, you know, just back from the from the SMH in Fort Worth. And it was great to see everyone. So uh, shout out to the organization for putting together a, uh, a good conference. Um, it was it was nice to, to be back. Yeah, it was. It was really great to, to see everybody. And uh, boy, it just. Kind of a good shot in the arm, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and another great presentation from Dr. Brian Feltman. Another, oh, thank you. Excellent paper presentation. I think yours was the only panel I attended. I did a couple, um, yeah. but uh, I didn't do many. Uh, yeah. I, 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 was, I was hobnobbing a little. You know, I, I, I got a lot of, I got a good uh, modern war studies stuff. I, I, so I, I worked hard, but um, it was doing that. So it was pretty, pretty productive, actually. So Well, Speaking of working hard, um, we got a hard worker with us here today. Uh, we have Dr. Sabrina Thomas, who is an associate professor and the David A. Moore Chair of American History at Wabash College in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Before joining the faculty at Wabash, Sabrina held a dissertation completion fellowship at Middle Tennessee State University. She received her BA in history at Colorado State University, earned an MS in counseling at Butler, and completed her, completed her PhD in uh, history at Arizona State University. Sabrina is a specialist in U.S. foreign policy with a transnational focus on the intersections of race, gender, nation, and war. She's particularly interested in children born as a result of international conflict. She published her first book, Scars of War, The Politics of Paternity and Responsibility for Amerasians of Vietnam with the University of Nebraska Press in 2021. And was nominated for the and that book was nominated for the Bancroft Prize, um, which Sabrina, you have not done enough to publicize. I had to look to find that. Um, her articles have appeared in Diplomatic History and the Journal of American East Asian Relations, and she has received significant funding for her research, including a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Sabrina is also approaching the completion of a second monograph titled "The Soul of Blood and Borders: Brown Babies, Black." Amerasians and the African-American response. 
Sabrina is active in a number of professional organizations, including the Association for Asian American Studies, Association for the Study of African American Life and History, the American Historical Association, the Society for the Historians of American Foreign Relations, and the National Council for Black Studies. And finally, she is an active board member of the Tim Lai Foundation, and I'm sure we'll hear a little bit about that later on. Um, so welcome, Sabrina. Thank you. That was a wonderful introduction. <laughs> well, why aren't you doing more to publicize this Bancroft nomination? Well, I didn't get it. <laughs> so, so what? It's it as, they say, as they yeah. say, it's a it's an honor to be, you know, yeah, to, to be, be nominated. nominated. Yeah, it, <laughs> I was I was just, I mean, you found it probably on a flyer for a talk I did uh, earlier this spring. And yeah, I'm really excited at that point. And then like I gave the talk and the next day, like was like, oh, yeah, I didn't get it. <laughs> so hey. Uh, you don't even have it on your CV. You that when you get nominated for the Bancroft, you put it on your CV. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll work on that. This this whole self-publicizing thing is kind of new for me. So. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's hard. Um, it's weird, especially in this, you know, doing the kind of stuff now where you're supposed to blow your own horn on Twitter and let everybody know what you're doing. Um, you know, for those of us who didn't grow up with with Facebook and Twitter and everything, I think it's a little weird for us. It's super weird. Yeah, I'm not a selfie person. And I'm not really, really great at that. But yeah, I will. I will work on that. Thank you. All right. <laughs> but hey, as uh, many people tell me, if you don't promote yourself, then no one else is going to promote you. I, that's what I hear as well. <laughs> they'll promote the wrong thing. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Which is odd. Which is odd, because because you, you know you you work with with Kyle Longley at at Arizona State, and I, did. Um, I think I told you before, and Kyle said it on the podcast. He and I. We go way back and and he has told my mom, which was really weird in some ways, that that we're we're brothers from another mother. Because <laughs> we're pretty tight and, and and very similar, but but not so in one regard because he is like an expert self-promoter. He is great at right? it. I know. Yeah, he's really good at it. And I he just kind of has that knack. <laughs> he does. And it's just yeah. natural and it doesn't come across as arrogant or anything. It's just he's just good at it, you know. Really yeah. good. Um so, and that's the thing is finding that sweet spot where it doesn't come across as arrogant. Right. Yeah, that's right. hard. Because we all know people where it comes across. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have I told you about me today? Right. Um, yeah. Wow. Yes, Dr. Longley was wonderful. I um he did not he did not bestow me with uh that skill, but um I did learn a lot watching him. Oh, he's um, great. He is super. Great. He is yeah. truly a super guy. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, Sabrina, we we like to start out just by talking about who you are. So uh, tell us about your background. Uh, You know, where are you from? What did your parents do? Um, How did you get into history? Okay, Um, so I'm from Colorado originally. I was born in Denver. I grew up there. God's country, I say. Um, and it was a good little secret till they legalized marijuana. And now it's like, everybody's country. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so I grew up there. My mom, um, was, a she's at a retirement. She was then called a field engineer a few years ago, but she was a drafter for the mountain bell telephone company, which <gasps> has changed about 20 different times before, uh, again, before she retired. But um, so, so she did that. Um, and my dad was a police officer. Oh, okay. And, well, Sabrina, uh, tell us about your stepdad. Yeah. So, um, my stepdad has been a major influence in my life. He, um, my mom remarried when I was, I'm, I think around five 
he's been kind of the constant father figure um, in, in my life as well. And he has a, his own interesting kind of background that's really different from the rest of my family on both sides. Um, he's from uh, rural Arkansas <laughs> and he grew up, um, his, his dad died um, younger than he probably should have. And um, I think he was a lot, his dad was a logger. Um, and okay, so, so, so rural Arkansas, that's kind of yeah. a vague, nondescript. It's all I have. I know. I all, you know, so you don't know where. Like, I don't exactly. know where. Yeah, I mean, he knows where, obviously. But because I grew up in East Texas, so I was just curious because I kind yeah. of know Arkansas a little bit. But, I should have. But a logger, huh? His his father. Wow. Yeah, and then um, he he passed away, and um, he grew up with with um, two moms, basically his mom and his stepmom joined together to raise. Um, oh wow! Raise him and his sister. Yeah, it was, and so when I um, came into the picture. Um, I then had two more grandmas <laughs> and, right. and lived together um, and they were both awesome and very, very different. Um, Lolly was very much kind of like the, in my mind, kind of the quintessential Southern woman. She wore dresses, she taught piano, she was very prim and proper. Her makeup and hair was always done. Right, right. And then Bobby was um, the total opposite. She was more of a, I would say like a tomboy. Um, she was kind of a, really smart and really um, kinesthetic. Like she did a lot of stuff with her hands. That's, that's yeah. kind of I remember. And they were both awesome. Um, so he grew up in, um, in that environment. Um, and so I kind of gained an entire new different kind of family, which I think kind of goes to what I like to think is my ability to, to move in different spaces without really thinking too hard about it. Cause all of these different pieces were, were so different from each other. Um, yeah, well, I can see where he would have been pretty seamless, I guess, because yeah. of his upbringing and everything and yeah. joining your mom and, and you, right, and all that, yeah. right? Yep, yep, yep. And he was a, he was a manual, um, he installed telephone wires um, when I was, <laughs> when I was a kid, <laughs> um, yeah. until he, he got injured. But yeah, that's what he did. So he was really strong and, um, you know, pretty a blue collar guy, had that kind of. Um, so did, did he have an interest in history? You know, I don't know if he did then. He seems to have one now. He's um, he's he gets pretty fired up about things now and has a has a really good grasp of like how we got here today yeah. with all you know, things going on. And because I'm sure you had nothing to do with that. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But he I mean, he's pre generally pretty quiet. But when he gets fired up about stuff, he, he really he really does. Um, yeah. and he, kind of talk about um the history of stuff he really makes those connections really well so um yeah so he he was he was a major a major influence on my life as well so sabrina how did you get interested in history i don't know how i got interested in history i just always loved it i it, my favorite class in high school was my ap u.s history class um i don't think my teacher liked me very much but i loved his class um my aunt um, was when I was growing up, my aunt, who I'm really close to, was um, getting her, finishing her PhD in history and writing her book. And so she's a professor at the University of Nebraska Kearney. Um, oh. and she was a big influence on me. And so perhaps that's how I kind of became interested in it. What, what is her, what is her field? <laughs> she does um, Eastern Europe. So she, hmm. she did, um, when I was growing up, she was living in Yugoslavia. She was working on, her dissertation was on Tito. I never wrote it, so I, I don't know. The <laughs> um, and um, so now she's working on the former Yugoslavia, Bosnia-Herzegovina, and um, Serbia, and all, all of those 
different things. And now she's kind of interested in cemeteries and, and death and burial rituals in those areas. Oh, um, really? yeah. yeah. Yeah, kind of interesting stuff. Um, so she probably was my inspiration, but I've always been really interested in people. So talking about like self-promotion, I'm, I'm one of those people who I will prefer to talk about you than talk about me. <laughs> um, and I'm really interested in people's stories and kind of how they became who they are and got where they were. So I'm, I've always been into that. So I think history kind of came naturally because that's what history is. Yeah. Stories of people. So when I went to college, I knew I wanted to do history. Um, and um, so I majored in that right away. And I was going to be a history teacher. And because I was young, naive, and, you know, had all of this hope <laughs> uh, at the time, I was going to move to Chicago and teach on the South Side at the time that the Chicago public school system was like the worst school system in the country. And I was like, I'm going to go and make a difference there. And uh, then I did a student teaching semester in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, which was not Chicago, but had some of the some similar issues. And I thought, yeah. oh, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> um, that was a really eye-opening experience for me on a lot of levels. But still, I graduated, and then I became a high school teacher for a year in in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, which is like a suburb of Denver. And I really loved it. I I taught high school and coached volleyball, and was I I really really liked it, but I um, also remember all of my coworkers at the time being probably the age I am now, half-life age, yeah. <laughs> and being really bitter. And so I thought, I don't, I don't think I want to do this yet, because they were all kind of burnt out and tired and just, just bitter, super great people to work with, but, but a little bitter. So I had an opportunity to um, coach college volleyball. <laughs> And so I only taught for a year and then I left and with the idea that I would come back to high school teaching at some point, um, but came to Butler um, here in Indiana and had a couple of years coaching college volleyball. And that was, I really enjoyed that, but got bored kind of quickly because volleyball coaches talk about volleyball and yeah. at that time, 9-11 happened. And then, you know, we had kind of a war going on and I was like panicked about all of those things and angry and frustrated and scared and like, you know. And somebody was like, oh, so when you play defense, you got to, what are we doing? <laughs> so I didn't really know what to do next. Someone had kind of informed me of this, uh, that I could be an academic advisor for athletics. And then I would have a little bit academic stimulation plus the athletic piece. And so I did that for a few years. And I really, I actually, my first few years really enjoyed it. Um, working in college athletics um, is different than working in any other industry that I'm aware of. And it's super, super fast paced. And um, at the time, you know, I was in my 20s. I really liked it. Really so where did you do that? So I started at Indiana University. Um, and I was there for a few years. And then I went to Arizona State University. And okay. then I went to the University of Colorado. Gotcha. Did you, uh, did you play volleyball at Colorado State? Yeah, I tried to. I tried to. <laughs> yeah. And I, that was, I, that was one of the things I found about you that I couldn't find any real confirmation, but I was like, you don't get to generally coach college volleyball unless you played a little college volleyball. <laughs> I had some injuries early on that kind of, um, made me, a an unf unfulfilled story. Um, and so my claim to fame, I guess would be, um, the, the year that I went to Louisiana to teach, I actually, um, that was like my fifth year of eligibility. I had a medical waiver. And so I, I transferred there for the fall semester and did my last season, my like only official season at Southern 
university played there. We went to the NCAA tournament. We got murdered, <laughs> but we, but we went. And so that was fun. Um, and I did that because I knew at the time that I also wanted to continue coaching and I really needed, that was the only year I was ever healthy. Um, so that was, that was a good, that was a good time. Yeah. So I did academic advising for a while and then, um, and that kind of ran its course with me as well. Um, but I didn't, I really had no idea what I was going to do next. And when I was at ASU, I'm, you know, you could take classes for free. So during like a winter session class, I took the Vietnam War class with Dr. Longley. It was the hardest class I'd ever taken in my life. <laughs> and um, I worked so hard on it. And at the end of it, he called me into his office and I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> and um, and uh, he you know, encouraged me to, to further my education and get, get the PhD. And I said, no, there's no way I'm going back to school. <laughs> and um, he said, oh, I'll just think about it. And you know, a year went by and in that year I had moved. I went back to Colorado. I was at the University of Colorado. And I was feeling like I was going to stab myself in the face if I had to tell another football player why he had to go to class that day. <laughs> and, and I got an email from Dr. Longley that said, hey, we're accepting applications. You should apply. And I thought, I can't apply. I don't even know. I don't have anything. Like it, they asked for like, you know, stuff you'd written. And I hadn't been in school for like 10 years at that point. I didn't have, I didn't have anything. And I was like, uh all right, I'm going to apply, but I'm not going to get in. And I like used a paper from, I don't know, my junior year of undergrad. It was so bad. Like, there's no way they looked at that and thought, oh yeah, money. Like, I just don't. <laughs> so, but anyway, so I, so I sent my stuff in and, um, and then I got in and I said, oh, well, that's crazy. Uh, I'm not going back to college. If I have to pay for it. Like I've worked for colleges for a decade. I'm not going to pay right. for it. And then I got a fellowship. <laughs> And then I said, okay, I'm not going unless I can live in this neighborhood of Arizona, <laughs> of Tempe, and for this amount of money. Like, I was just putting all these barriers to, like, prevent myself from going. And I, within a week, like, a friend of a friend of a friend called and was like, hey, I have a room for rent in this neighborhood for the amount of money that I said. <laughs> so I went into the office of my, my boss at the time and was like, I guess I have to go. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't I, there's no, I got nothing left. <laughs> so I, yeah, so I became a student again and moved all my stuff and my uh, cat at the time uh, down to, down back to, to, we were actually in Ch Chandler and um, enrolled in school. And then I, you know, what I remember most in that first year was that I did not belong there. And, you know, I'm sitting next to these 20 something brilliant young, young people in my head who were saying words I'd never heard. I had like my thesaurus out in class next to me. <laughs> I was so over in over my head. It was it was crazy. And, and one of my professors, actually, my first semester was like, "Yeah, this this may not be for you." I was like, "Yeah, okay, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah." But I she anyway. But it's fine because it was for me because I kept going on mainly because of Dr. Longley. <laughs> and Dr. Longley, whenever I would get frustrated, would just be like, "Ah, you can do it." <laughs> and he'd come in and he'd tell a story and. I don't know, he'd say something that I was like, oh yeah, that's true. And then I just, I just, <laughs> I just kept going and somehow I ended up finishing. I, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my rundown. <laughs> it was divine providence or something. I don't know, or just dumb luck. I don't know, but yeah, that's, that's how I got here. <laughs> so you are, you're 
roughly my age, um, based on your CV. Um, and that means that your, your parents could have had some kind of Vietnam connection. Is, is that how you got into Vietnam or was it just through Kyle? Yeah, it was, it was through Dr. Longley. No, my, um, I, I didn't know this till later, but my dad had flat feet, so he was not, um, able to be, uh, to go. Um, my uncle, um, volunteered so that he could choose where he went and he went to Germany and he was he was awesome he spoke a number of languages and so they picked him up really quick for linguistics and those are the only kind of direct connections that I knew everyone else in my on my mom's side of the family were the, the ages weren't right yeah so yeah so no I didn't really actually know anything about Vietnam I ironically um or not ironically oddly kind of came into college thinking I was going to do Cuba <laughs> I was very interested in Cuba I had a, a Spanish-speaking background at the time. Oh, yeah. and, uh, I was super interested in that, but um, I didn't feel like it was a good fit between me and the, the advising professor there who did that. So I, I kind of thought, ah, that's probably not a good idea. Because one of the things Dr. Longley um, made really clear was, you know, you have to have somebody who kind of advocates for you. Right. At school, and that was the best. And he was a great advocate for me. Um, and so then, he, and then I was like very interested in, these the black communists who ended up in Russia during the 1920s I got kind of fascinated by this story of um living for Fort Whitman or something I can't remember his name right now but uh, this African-American guy who was young and kind of got um co-opted by the by the communist party of America in the 1920s and he was like so excited about it and he was um annoying excited about it and so like at all the <laughs> All the meetings, everyone in the meeting would be like, oh my God, love it, Fort Whitman, that's his name. Um, at the meetings, everyone would be like, oh my God, here, come, here he comes. Because <laughs> like, let, let's pick him to go to Russia. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, right. so they sent him to Russia. Yeah, and the Russians quickly got really annoyed with him as well. And so they sent him to like this little bitty town that I can't remember the name of anymore, like near Siberia and was like, you do your work there. And he's like, great. And so he goes and he like marries a Russian woman and he has a Russian kid and then he wow. like, runs his mouth too much and he ends up oh, in labor camp and getting killed and Jeez. so that was really interesting and but I was actually really interested in well I wonder what happened to his kid right like so he like he oh. a woman like the late 1920s that's interesting and I don't and I have no idea what happened to his kid but so that was my first kind of bite on um this notion of like transnational transracial racial children and so I was talking to Dr. Longley about that at one point and he said all right. And he wrote the name Amerasian on a piece of paper and pushed it to me. And he was, he was like, yeah, you should look these, these guys up. Nothing's been done on them. I think you'll find it interesting. And so I was like, okay. <laughs> so I went and Googled the word and then all these images came up and I thought, wow, I'm confused, which, so I'm, so my mom is white, my dad is black. And so I have prided myself as many of my mixed race friends have <laughs> throughout our lives of being able to tell who has mixed race heritage or not. And I was totally kind of shocked at my own shock at the, the images I was seeing because it confused my own notions of race and of nationality and like, wow. So I did a little bit more looking in, into, into the topic and was like, yeah, I'm sold. I'm totally- is, is that where you first saw the Newsday image of, of, of Levan Men? It, it might have been. Um, that's a really popular image that if you, it now comes up, but I don't think it came up right away then. I think I actually had had to, to look at it. There were some other okay. 
like Getty that were really um, kind of the first things you saw that are still um, popular. That image, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that image came up later um, when I found the, the, the article on it. Um, right. But that image was really shocking to me as well. And again, most people are shocked by the by his body. And yeah. again, I was stuck on his face, <laughs> right? And so um, for me, that image, and we can get more into that, I, I suppose, if you'd like. But for me, that image really kind of resonated with all of the confusion that I was having with just looking at the pictures themselves. And so, so that kind of sold me. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to admit, like, I, I knew, obviously, that there were relationships between American soldiers and Vietnamese women. But when I started doing the research for this, and that number pops up like 67,000, um, I was like, oh, my God, like, that's, that's tremendous. A lot. <laughs> and it's undercounted, probably, right? So, I mean, we, we missed and continue to miss the, the numbers of those who are in kind of the uh, highlands or the, the outskirts and the areas where uh, that weren't quite so near military bases and military installations. So yeah, we're definitely undercounted. <laughs> well, Sabrina, let's segue then into, into your, your, your book, uh, which you know, came, came from your dissertation. One, how did you come to focus on, on, on the Le Van Men's story? And, and then two, I mean, there, there had to be some pretty good research challenges on this. I mean, I, I can kind of see the government stuff, you know, the policy approach because yeah. you do focus on that as, as well in the book but as far as just the stories yeah you know how, how did you how did you find those yeah so so I'll start with that question first because it goes bleeds into the other one so when I started doing this research I I kind of started just by um reaching out to a number of groups that uh of Amerasians advocacy groups that had that had that existed at the time and um, getting kind of listservs and then sending out kind of questions. This was, I, this was before I knew much about oral history or interviewing or anything. So I wasn't trying to surveying. I didn't know much about that. I was just trying to get an understanding of stories. Could you have done this project that way like 30 years ago? No, no. Right? Like, yeah, no. I don't know how we would have done that project, this project 30 years ago. I mean, yeah. it would, especially so, Arizona, um, in particular, didn't at that time have a huge Amerasian population that I knew of. In my research, I found out that it was actually one of the places that a lot of the Amerasians were sent from the Refugee Processing Center um, in the 90s. But I had no concept, and I still, even knowing now, have no no concept of a Amerasian community there now. But, but I, I just don't know. I just don't know how you would even have found that all that these different groups existed. Yeah, yeah. Since, since because of the Google, right? You can find <laughs> these advocacy groups and stuff like that. I yeah. mean, it's just, it's just really, it's really revolutionized how we do things and what we can get into. Yeah, no, definitely. So that would be a positive outcome of technology. Yes. <laughs> Negative outcomes, but yes, that would be a positive. Um, so what I, what I received in response was a, an overwhelming response from um, Amerasians from all over the country by email by and by phone. And so I was getting all these phone calls like in the middle of the night because of time zone differences and whatnot um, from Amerasians um, who would leave me messages, heart-wrenching messages about, I'm still trying to find my father. I need your help. Oh, wow. And, and I couldn't carry that. 
<laughs> like that yeah. for me, like, whoa, this is, you know, I'm just trying to get through grad school. <laughs> and you uh, said, there's a reason I didn't use that counseling degree. That's it was, it was a lot. Um, and so I quickly shifted the way that I thought I was going to go about this, um, to, to specifically focusing on policy so that I didn't have to, to carry the weight of those stories. Um, again, there, and I think I talked about this in the intro of the book, but there are a number of people who do carry that weight and they have done a, some really good work. Robert McKelvey continues to do work on this topic right. that way. Um, and I applaud that. I think that's so important. Um, but I, I just couldn't do it. It, it made me, I, the, yeah, I couldn't do it. I wasn't in a, in a position to be able to carry that. I think now I could, but I think at the time I wasn't in a position to, to carry that. <clears throat> So, so I kind of shifted the, my approach. Um, and that's when I came upon the story behind the photo of Le Van Men and came to realize there was this whole backstory of these high school students in New York who had kind of lobbied for him to come to the United States and really kind of set the stage for the homecoming act. And that was a really interesting story that nobody ha ha had told, um, but it was also a story um, that I think was really complicated. It was definitely an American story. It was a savior story, right? But it didn't tell his story very well. And I'm not sure I told his story very well either, to be honest, um, but I wanted to give it the best that I could with the sources that I had, <laughs> um, that I had access to. So, so that's what I tried to do um, by getting closer to the people who were around him and closer to the mindset of the policymakers who were, who were responsible um, for the different pieces, um, pieces of legislation. I tried really hard to find Le Van Men during that whole time. So about seven, eight years of work trying to locate him, which you would think would be easy on the Google. Yeah. <laughs> um, his name is really common. Um, it's also... It depends on if you're spelling it, if you're, the order is in the way that we order it in the United States or in, or in Vietnam. I, there, I just, I could not find him anywhere. There was an article written in 2009 by a journalist named David Lamb, um, who's since passed, but um, it's one of the ones that if you pop in on Amerasians, it comes up right away. Um, he did a, an article on um, this Amerasian gathering in um, San Jose, um, and he talks about and he, so I talked to him and I talked to his photographer at the time, Catherine Carnow, um, both about their experience interviewing him because they were the last people <laughs> um, that I could find who had connects. And so that was helpful, um, but I couldn't, I never found him. So that being said, in the past year, since my book came out, I did um, have contact with his son. And so he, I have sent him a copy of the book. I have asked him for honest feedback. I have explained the use of the picture because um, that's a, a, a whole nother thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping that he'll get back to me <laughs> because I would like, I would love his feedback and I would love if he wants to, you know, redo any parts of it. I would love to talk <clears throat> to my publisher about maybe doing that because I want him to be foregrounded um, in this story since he's foregrounded right on the, on the book. On the cut, yeah. Well, you know, your, your author's note, that you put in yeah. about explaining why you chose to use the picture. Yeah. Is yeah. really, I don't think you could have done much better than, than what you did there. 
Well, thank you. Seriously. I, still, I mean, I know I, I'm sure that was very difficult to write that brief paragraph. Yeah. To try yeah. to explain this is yeah. why this image is important and needs to yeah. be seen. Yet yeah. I don't want to be seen as exploiting. Right. Right. And that, that's a tough deal. But I, th I think yeah. you did a wonderful job there. Well, thank that. you. Yeah, it's definitely something I still I still struggle with. Um, and, you know, being a part of the um, Tim Light, the board of the Tim Light Foundation, too, I get feedback from them and everybody on that board is Amerasian. And so I've gotten feedback from them, too. And I so that kind of adds to adds to kind of my struggle with it. But I do think I stick by my decision because I do think it's um, sure. critical to understanding the, the story. And it's also the picture that people who would remember this would have would remember. Yeah. So this is for the people in Huntington, New York, right? Or the people who maybe picked up a paper and maybe saw that picture. Um, they remember that picture. And so it triggers all of those, that story for them. Uh, I wanna ask you a quick thing about the book, your, your, the, de the dedication in yep. the book. Uh, if it's okay, is it okay if I read it? Sure, Okay. Yeah. To my grandma, Judy, my grandpa, Doug, and my uncle, Ricky. Thank you for being here as long as you could. I miss you and hope I am making you proud. Can you talk about them a little bit? Sure. Um, so during my writing of this book, all three of them passed away. Uh -huh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, my uncle was my favorite uncle. And uh, he... This is who you talked about earlier, right? Yeah, my uncle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, uh, he was awesome. Anyway, so he got pancreatic cancer. Uh, and within nine months was, I mean, uh, the healthiest guy ever. Like, there's no reason that he should have, right? you know, cancer does that. Um, so he passed away before, um, before it was, he passed away the night before of the 20, the night before the 2016 election, actually, because we were, he was, I remember, because he's on morphine and we were kind of laughing, but I'm not sure he was catching the jokes, but he was still laughing <laughs> with, <laughs> with me about it. So, so he passed away. And then my grandma, my grandfather passed a couple years later, and then my grandmother passed next. And they were all really, really important people in my life. Sorry. <laughs> and they just, no, that's they, all right. It was a tough question to yeah, ask. I, I don't, that's okay. um, they supported me all, all the time. Like yeah. so my grandfather was a meteorologist and, um, wow. He was, yeah, and he he worked at, um, he was a professor, he worked at NCAR, which is the Atmospheric Research Institute or something in Boulder for a long time. And then he became a meteorology professor at the University of Oklahoma. And um, that sounds he, like a, that sounds like a national security agency so, yeah. subsidiary yeah. out there, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. some, some sort of NORAD thing. Yeah, yeah. He, was, yeah. <laughs> he was a big deal, but also, um, and not the warmest guy, but definitely um, somebody who expected success out of everybody around him. So he was really kind of instrumental in me moving away from home, at, you know, when I got the volleyball job and then going, uh, going back to school, because he would just say, wow, why, why wouldn't you leave? You're young. You should go away. Home will always be there. Or, well, why wouldn't you go, go back to school? You're young. <laughs> so he would, so that was helpful. Um, and my grandma was um, just kind of a steady Eddie, my biggest supporter always. I grew up half of, I lived when my mom and my parents divorced and I lived with my mom. We lived with her um, a, lot, a lot for a long time in my childhood. So she had a huge influence on my life. Um, but that, that being said, you know, 80 something year old folks are not, are still not the warmest. <laughs> so even after, after it was published, she was like, oh, good job. Careful now. That's, that's yeah. our target audience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
they will know. When we, when we run the, the analytics, that's, that's where yeah. our age group falls. Yeah. <laughs> Get it. No problem. Yeah. So it's, it's all of Lori and Foote's mom and dad at their retirement community pumping up the plays <laughs> for her episode. So don't. Don't hammer too much. It's not Come a on. negative. It's definitely I say with love. Yeah, it's it's just it, they're good memories of of those interactions. So yeah. So by the time everything was was kind of done, all three of them had had passed, and that just kind of added to me finishing the book. Well, I know you've got a uh, uh, you know Amanda Demmer, whose whose work I respect tremendously. You know, related her her great book after Saigon's Fall about refugees. Yep. from coming from South Vietnam, you know, between the two of you uh, and, a, and a couple other folks, just it's pushing the post-Vietnam story. Yeah. Right. Which has been, been over the years, I think, very veteran focused. Yeah. If anything, or it's yeah. been focused on, you know, like the Vietnam syndrome, you know, and, and us, the elephant in the room when we're making decisions about national security crises and whatnot. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's like you said, out of the gate, it's personalizing it and it's telling those stories, yeah. which is ultimately what it, what it's all about and, and what has the greatest impact. So this is a really, just really awesome. I, I, I can't applaud you enough for one, for taking this on. <laughs> right. And, and it sounds like it, it's and Brian, you know, it is so many times in this and, and it's our story too. We, we're finding more and more that people just kind of fall into this business. Yeah. Right. Really? And, and yeah. And, and you really fell into it. I mean, it sounds so like hard. you were just bouncing around and you suddenly <laughs> like, boom, I'm in Kyle Longley's office and he thinks right. I should be a PhD. Oh, all right. Right. I mean, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Dumb luck right there. Yeah. No, I, you know, Amanda is, um, gosh, I respect her and her work so much. And she's also such a kind person. Yeah. Um, we need I, to get her on. We need yeah. To her on you you yeah. definitely. Yeah. I, I, I'm excited for her future. And it's funny when I started writing, I can't remember, she must've, she must've been in grad school. She's a few years behind me in terms of professional trajectory. And she must've reached out to me about my work or something. I can't, I can't quite remember, but she, um, I remember thinking, oh no, there's this like really smart young scholar who's like, oh, yeah. I got to get my stuff done before she does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I was like, oh no, she's seriously smart. Like, and she's, she's younger. Right. So she has like, she's got the yes, energy. Yeah. And she's, like, <laughs> and she's like on YouTube. She is, she's awesome. But yeah, yeah she's great. Catch and I, I, yeah, I really am excited for her future. I think she's great. Yeah. <laughs> should we, should we take a little break, Brian? So, uh, Sabrina, I, I, of course, looking at your background there. Yeah. So your 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 Zeta Phi Beta thing, I all am. that. Yes. Um, you you've got a lot of ribbons that are hanging off the bookcase. What are those for? Oh, you say that. Yes. Yeah, so I actually also ride horses. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So my grandmother yeah. raised horses, and so I actually was riding before I was walking. And um, when I was grown up enough to be able to have my own horse, <laughs> yeah, I got back in it. Um, and so those are from, yeah, from shows from a couple of years ago now, but um, yeah, anyway. So what, what do you do? What, what do you? I do dressage. Dressage. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, my, my youngest sister uh, did dressage and jumping. Oh. Yeah. Oh, 
great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And my, my horse right now is at an eventing barn. I never jumped on purpose anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Jumpers are nuts, but good for them. Um, so yeah, I've done that my, my whole life. And, uh, I'm, oh, you cool. know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting sport because, uh, it's so class-based and yes. as, um, you know, so even as a professor, I, I'm not anywhere near what you need at this point to be able to, to really compete. If, if I wanted to compete, compete, like the amount of money you have to spend on horses and training and but you know, everybody, every little girl's dream, they said at one point anyway, was to have a horse. So I, think I have a horse, I have a pony. Yeah. I think and look at you. Wow. Oh, are we talking about the ribbons in the back? Yeah. 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 I saw those too. Yeah. I was like, That's I was funny. like, those are definitely horse ribbons. Yeah. Yeah. Those are horse ribbons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. It, it's, the cheapest of all hobbies. I, that's what we were just saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel I, to be honest, I mean, I still feel like the little, I was always the little kid when, when I was a little kid who, um, you know, I kind of cleaned stalls to be able to ride. Like I did all the, the labor to be able oh, to yeah. still oh. do that. Right. As a grown up. And so sometimes I have to like remind myself, like I have a PhD yet. I can't afford the lessons. So I'm going to yeah. keep poop <laughs> so that I can, yeah. because it's just, it's just, that's what I'm sad that that's what it's become because, yeah. you know, uh, where I live in Spartanburg, uh, yeah. just up the road is Tryon where yeah. the big, oh, wow. you know, national equestrian oh, center gosh. is, yes. which is yep. just a freaking amazing facility. Yep. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 yeah, the, the horsey set is a big deal around here. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, a, it, it's a big thing. Well, there are whole communities out there built for horses, horses and horse people. Oh, yeah. 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 So, but you're right. It is very much a class thing. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, my, uh, my brother in law married a young woman who was really into horses. And, you know, when they got married, then, of course, her parents, you know, said, well, you know, here's, this is uh you guys can take responsibility for the boarding and everything. And uh, she had one horse and I think this is, you know, the horse has passed away now, but I think they were paying like 800 bucks a month yep. just to like keep this horse somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and at yeah. the time my Statesboro, Georgia mortgage was <laughs> less than that. <laughs> right. well, I will tell you when I was a kid, a horse board for the horse I had when I was a kid was a hundred bucks a month. And so it is, it yeah. is, well, yeah. you know, everything it's it's yeah i mean I, I suppose you can still find places like that but you certainly wouldn't want your horse to be there no 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 yeah yeah <laughs> yeah oh, interesting that's great yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love it i love it you tell people that but yes i forgot about the ribbons <laughs> <laughs> all right all right we ready yeah all right so i didn't tell you guys this when it happened but um you may have heard my phone briefly go off my wife called I reached over to get my phone to turn it off. I hit my water. Water went everywhere. That's that's why I had to get up and leave. As I I've been looking at this pool of water the entire time. It's it's been one of those mornings. The damn computer won't stop restarting and spilling stuff everywhere. Um, so and you're all I, alone up there. You're probably the only person in the building. I definitely probably. am the only person yeah. here, other than you know upstairs. Yeah. But uh, I was going to go to the gym after this, but I'm afraid I'll like tear a rotator cuff or something <laughs> if I <laughs> if I try to do it. So maybe I'm just going to go home and lay down on the couch after this. But um, so uh, Sabrina, you are at Wabash College, all male college, one of the one out of three remaining all male colleges in the country. And I listened to a podcast that you did yesterday, and um, 
they revealed that you recently became the first black woman to be tenured in the history of that college. Yeah. So wanted to talk a little bit about that. No, I mean, just, I guess at what point did you know that you were going to be the first black woman to be tenured there? And did that kind of like, did, was that like a, a situation where you felt pressure? I mean, what that, that had to be really weird, especially considering that, you know, you were tenured 2021. And so yeah. in 2021, you're going to be the first black woman to be tenured somewhere. Yeah. I think it's crazy that I'm, that you can still be the first black anything. That's crazy to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll say that, um, you know, I, uh, don't think I realized it until the day after I got tenure. Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I knew, but it's, you know, the demographics of, of Wabash, it's, it's really obvious that this has probably not happened before. Yeah. Not something that, that I focused on because, you know, the tenure process itself is so stressful. So yeah, I think it's, it's awesome for the college that, that finally <laughs> they have a- <laughs> have a black woman tenured um i think it's also a a challenge to the college to have more black women on campus which we don't have in the faculty yet so that would be helpful (laughs) are you the are you the only black woman on the faculty i am wow okay so so i you know i i would like that to be kind of the the focus next because i don't think it's a it's not an accolade right to to (laughs) to say oh we did First black woman in 2021. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think um, Wabash is moving in the right direction on those sorts of um, things. And so I'm hoping to see some change in the future that is more progressive in that way. So, I mean, you know, you teach a, a ton of different classes and uh, Bill, I'm stealing some of your, your question down. No, below you're fine. Here, but um, we have so, our cheat sheet. So. Yeah, we... <laughs> So I, I feel so guilty because Bill does all the hard work. He does all the editing. So he spends an hour. So I'm like, I've got to do real research on this stuff. So, so I actually, you know, like try to put in a lot of time and you know, figure out stuff about uh, the people that we have. He just, on. He just likes stalking people on the internet. Yeah, uh, it's, that's, that's, me, that's where which, he wants hey, about. Okay. So either you don't have Twitter or I just couldn't find you. I don't have Twitter. Okay. All right. Good for that, you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, Wabash is the kind of place where you're, you're expected to teach a, a, a big range of classes. And so you're doing everything from, you know, Black Germany, you're doing study abroad trips, you are uh, teaching American history classes. Um, what's it like teaching in that all-male environment as as not only a woman, but, you know, a person of color? Yeah. Um, so I love it, actually. <laughs> um, Wabash is a really special place that I would not have thought that about if I wasn't teaching there. Um, when I um, went for my interview there um, a few years back, I remember thinking, this is going to be like Animal House. Like, that's all I could think of. I'm dating myself. <laughs> right? And when I got on campus, I was like, my mouth dropped. Like, it is the most pristine, respectful, dead poet society type feeling campus. Yeah. And men on campus are and my interview were very, very like, they knew my name, they knew my background, they knew, like, they came up to me at lunch and introduced themselves. I'm Dr. Thomas, I can't wait to see your presentation. Like, oh. So what's, what's the, it, isn't there some special motto or something? Uh, well, there's a number of, of mottos. But I mean, for, for the, for the students, it's like. Always fights is kind of the motto. But I mean, but it's like, always be a gentleman and a good oh, yeah. citizen That's or something like that, role. right? The gentleman's role, yep. And the yeah, only reason I know that is, is my first job was at St. Francis College in Fort Wayne. Okay. 
and so I knew I, I kind of those couple of years there I learned all about because because there's like a little college in every little town in Indiana yeah. right you yeah. trip over them I mean Huntington yeah. and Manchester and yep. I mean there's just you know St. Mary there's just all over the place yep. um, my impression of them now this is you know, I'm talking about the late 90s when I was there, yeah. was that they all kind of had this sort of ethos, yep. very do. similar to what, what you're, you're talking about. Yeah, so the gentleman's rule is our rule. Like that is the- Yes, that's what it's called, right. Standard, um, at Wabash, there's really nothing else. And they, students at Wabash believe in it. They, like they, whatever they're, uh, you know, they're still young men. So they still do young men things, right? but they really try to hold themselves accountable and each other accountable to the gentleman's role. Um, and so that is a, a blessing um, actually in classes um, because you know our classes are, are small. Um, so when people aren't there, it's really obvious. Um, and so if I have a student who hasn't been there for three or four days and most of our students are in a variety of um, extracurricular activities or athletics. And so you can always kind of find teammates or friends who are also in those There's probably a lot of self self-policing self-policing and i can say yeah. hey so and so you know john x hasn't been here for a few days have you seen him and then john x will be in my office like that yeah yeah <laughs> they hold themselves accountable <clears throat> and so i think it's i've never experienced anything like that um i'm on a college campus and so um i continue to be mystified by by that um as a woman it's it it was um now i'm okay um my first <laughs> semester i had gotten um, a lot of advice from a, a lot of, a, of the other women faculty before my first day um, and everything they said kind of came true. So Wabash um, students are very, um, have high expectations of who's going to become an actual Wabash professor. Wow. So you have to meet those Real. expectations. Huh. Yep. Um, and student voices are really important in our review process. Um, and so you are expected to meet those expectations. And that means that you're fit, you're, your standards are high enough that they think that you're worth it. <laughs> wow. Fair, right? Um, and that they get something out of your classes. That's kind of how I would summarize it. Um, so if you go in there and you're like, oh, I'm a student, I'm going to party with the students, you're, that's not going to work. If you're super easy or they don't think you're intellectually um, up to their standard, that's not going to happen. Like they, they take that seriously. So my first um, semester, I felt that from my students. They were testing me in different ways in that. Um, and so I passed, <laughs> I think, <laughs> so for them tenured. Um, but I also learned really quickly in my first day, my first week of class that you have to kind of approach men differently. <laughs> and you two men may be aware of this, but I wasn't. <laughs> so I, um, my US history survey class, I have always taught, um, especially that was in 2015, 2016 with um, kind of throwing out some controversial topics so that I can get a feel for the room. Because yeah. we talk about, we're talking about race in this class. This is the era of slavery. <laughs> like we're going to talk about this stuff. And um, so, so I did that. I don't remember what it was, but there was something that had, was going on. So I did that and they just stared at me. <laughs> and it was one of those things where, where like, I don't remember, they had to like get up and say an opinion or they had to agree at something that was kind of more active, interactive. And they just stared at me. And I thought, yeah, right. Because normally in a classroom, a co-ed classroom, women want to be heard. We have yeah. a on things. So normally, 
when I was reflecting, I realized it's the girls in class who are like, hey, I have an opinion about this. And then the men or the boys in class will often say something because they want to get her mad or they think it's funny to <laughs> antagonize her. No, or, we're, we're, we're just waiting to see which way the wind's blowing. Or what I, yes. yeah, well, I have that's, no opinion. That's what yeah. we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a really quick lesson I learned. And so I've had to kind of rearrange my teaching style in order to make sure that I'm adjusting for the way that men do not emote and, and don't engage just naturally in the way that, that they do in co-ed environments. <laughs> So do you, do you find that when you are having discussions with, you know, these, these all male classrooms, you have to say, well, hold on, let me represent women here and tell you the, the so woman's never, perspective. Yeah, never. <laughs> I, well, I guess I wouldn't say never. I have said as a woman, I can say, I have, yeah. um, but I try not, not to do that. I try instead because I'm, I'm not representative of all women and I'm certainly yeah, not of course. Yeah. The women that they know in most cases, same thing with being a person of color. I try not, I definitely try not to do that because I also want them to feel comfortable in my class right. saying what they feel like they need to say and then trying to kind of challenge them where I feel like it needs to be challenged. Um, but yeah, I, we had a, a kind of discussion a few years ago where there, about the pay gap and um, there was a contentious discussion among students about um, whether that was real or not. And so I kind of watched them go back and forth. And then one of them asked me about, you know, have I experienced the pay gap as, as a woman? And so in that situation, well, yeah, and you, you can look here at Wabash College, right? It's yeah. institution like every other institution. But I really try to try to kind of stay out of that. It's it's important at a, I think, on a campus like this for them not to view me as a female professor, but to view me as a professor. Yeah. Um, I see that. And so that's, that's always a work in progress here. So yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. <laughs> Good students, excellent students. And they try, they work really hard. And if they're, if they're not hard workers, they try to pretend that they're working hard. I appreciate all of those efforts. <laughs> so it's in uh, Craw Crawfordsville. Is that right? Bill, Indiana. Mm -hmm. Which is, if I remember right, is kind of North, Northwest. It's about an hour, of, 45 of, minutes west of the city. Yeah, Indianapolis. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, live, I live in Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh -oh. I, yeah. Oh, you do. Okay. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Crawfordsville is um, is um, is would be a great town to do a micro history on. Um, it's you know a small Midwestern working class town. They have a lot of factories. In terms of, for example, military service, a huge proportion um, percentage of the population has military service backgrounds, even in the more current current wars, but there's a lot of Vietnam veterans there that also I always um, uh, have come to my class when I teach that class. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. And so, so that runs really deep in that community. It's got a lot of really interesting di dynamics for sure, because I'm a more mature <laughs> um, <laughs> professor at this point, I've lived in those towns. And so I knew when I took this job that I needed to be in a, uh, in a city. And so that was kind of my, my devil's bargain. I'll drive in. Well, <laughs> and, hey, so, so you yeah. teach the, the black Germany class. Do you know Michelle Moyd? I do not. Oh, okay. She's, she's at, you guys uh, got to meet. Yeah. She's yeah, at, you IU. guys got to meet. Okay. Um, she's great. And, uh, she does, um, a lot of stuff with, she, she does, she does African history, but she, uh, does, 
Germany, Germans in Africa, Africans in Germany. And uh, she's 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 going to be uh, episode number one of this season. Okay. Um, and uh, she's yeah, she'd be a really good contact. You guys would probably get along really she well. She's she? uh she's at IU um, and she she did a PhD and everything from Cornell. But she um, she's military, uh, you know, um, kind of a story you would find very interesting. A father, uh, American serviceman uh, who met her mother, who is British, but they met while her father was doing military service uh, abroad. And uh, then she, you know, was a military brat. But um, yeah, I will definitely I'll shoot her an email because I, I don't know her. You know, it's funny with all the colleges around. I know very few of the surrounding professors. Yeah faculty so so that's really but that would be great i haven't so that class is on my docket for next spring and i'm co-teaching it with the a professor of uh, german language and i'm super excited about it um but i just started doing all of the reading for that class as i'm writing working on the second book um yeah. and so but yeah i would i will totally connect with her thank you yeah no problem uh real quick sabrina i want to ask you about your uh, student trip you guys do to vietnam mm -hmm. How many times have you guys done that? When, when did that oh, start? Yeah, we've only, we've only done it once so far. Okay. Largely kind of interrupted stuff. So I plan to do it sure. again. Um, that trip was um, great. And I think life-changing for those students. Again, most of our students have never, some of them have never been on a plane. Many of them have not been out of the country. So yeah. that was a huge um, eye-opener for them. Um, and I loved the trip because we were able to start in Hanoi and then we traveled down um, and ended in um, Ho Chi Minh City slash Saigon. Um, and so they were able to see the difference between the two parts of the country. They were able to see the area around what was the DMZ, which is now, you know, tourist party central. Right. <laughs> and, and so, and we got to kind of talk about um, all of those things along the way. So um, we had an excellent guide in South Vietnam in particular, um, who was, uh, he had um, divided loyalties between the North and the South. And so he had a really interesting perspective um, on things. Our guide in the North was what I would have thought our guide in the North would be and, and was pretty stuck to the narrative. A very disciplined uh, party, party, party person. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but it was interesting to, for the students also to, we talked a lot about the guides so, so that they could understand the differences and why why the guide in the south talked badly in parts about some of the things the guide, guide in the north had said and, and so so that was really really interesting but um yeah that was a one of the best trips i've i've been on um and that i organized <laughs> probably um i would do it differently next time um i think i would want to spend some time in in way and do a little bit more on the ground interaction sure better, better word um yeah. and I eliminate I mean one of the things we kind of just fell into while we were there is one of our guides um, took us by without this wasn't part of our plan but took us by um, an orphanage um, um, I'm trying to remember it wasn't far from like the Coochie Tunnel area because that's where we had been we yeah there. I I think I think I've been there yeah is and the Agent it, Orange yes yes it, I think it was a German philanthropy that ran it it might have been. Now that was, this was, it's just been 20 ago. years. The per, yeah, the, the person, our contact there, the guide and the and, um, had worked there before. And so he's like, yeah. oh, we're here. Let me, you know, you never quite know how that works out. But, you know, and so the, 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 the kids, the students got to spend about three hours with the kids, which was great and painful. And for me, really uncomfortable because <laughs> I felt like we were 
partaking in kind of that um, tourism of spectacle. And we were yeah. like, yes. super on. No, we, we felt the same way when we were there a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I would not do that again. I, again, it was a good opportunity to talk about that. And, but that for the students was one of the most powerful parts of the trip. That was something that they talked to their friends about. And that's, and so, you know, I was conflicted. I continue to feel uncomfortable with it, but um, also to be conflicted about the worth of it on, on that, that trip. So for the students I, and, and to be un very uncomfortable for the worth of it for the, for the kids. Have you talked with, uh, with Ron Milam, Texas Tech or Heather, Heather Starr and Andy Weiss? Yeah, I've talked to Heather. Because I know they've taken people several times. Yeah, I, I haven't talked to her about um, about the trip uh, to Vietnam, but I could. Yeah, she's, I love Heather. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. Yeah. yeah, so if yeah. she has, yeah, I would, I'll definitely reach out to her um, about that. Yeah, she was episode <laughs> number one, first person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. she's, she's fantastic. She was she's one of great. the first books from a woman that I read in this field, and I was like, oh, Sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm really glad that I yeah. can say that I know her. Yeah, she, she's wonderful. And you went to Vietnam as well? Yeah, oh. it's just, just been, it's like summer of 2000. Oh, it's uh, been a while. I, I really would like to go back. I just have not yeah. had the opportunity to go back. But yeah, I went with a Fulbright group, about 10 or 12 faculty from all around the country, okay. three week thing. And um, okay. yeah, it's the first time I'd ever been to Asia. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's just sensory, Same. sensory overload, right? Just like, wow. It's very different. Um, Bill, yeah. I'm sure that the provost would support you taking a group of our students over. I, you know, <laughs> being a guy in the art department at St. Francis took two groups of students to, to Europe. And like you, you said, Sabrina, a lot of them had never been on a plane. Yeah. Right. So it was a big deal. But it was yep. a, it was large. I mean, it was like 30 kids. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it just... I just remember being just stressed out the whole time and, uh, and I haven't done it since, which is not good. Uh, cause I, I, we, we ought to do more, do some things like that. I think like, like Brian and I could do a really fun trip to, you know, to Belgium, France, you know, do the Western front, stuff like that. Yeah. We could really have a lot of fun with that. So yeah. I don't know. I need, probably need to suck it up and try that again. But with smaller, a smaller group, more manageable. Yeah. Group. So how many yeah. did you have? We had 18. Okay, that's um, that was that's pretty good. Where you can probably get a van or something big enough to haul you around, right? Yeah, yeah. Not have to do a big tour bus everywhere you go. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So I think was, that's the key, especially there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Transportation is definitely an, yeah. a, a challenge there. <laughs> right. For, if you're not if you're not enough to fit on one of the, the bikes, you know, if you can't get all your family on a bike, you're yeah, <laughs> right for <laughs> sure. Yeah, but it's really it is really valuable, and I would be really interested for you to see how it's changed since you were there. Well, that's what I keep. You know, every time I talk with Ron, in fact, we're talking about doing a trip through the Vietnam Center at Texas Tech. Perfect. Um, to to take just a group of faculty over, and yeah. uh, because I every time I talk to him, he's like, you wouldn't believe how much it's changed. I mean, I hadn't I hadn't been before um, either but I did have an idea of what it looked like obviously in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. And I was shocked by, by kind of the modernization specifically um, in, in the Southern part and the, just the tour, the, you know, the American the tourism is amazing. And yeah. 
Yeah. And I had a couple of my sisters had gone at different points for, for fun and they had a totally different experience than I did <laughs> there. Um, and I was just like, yeah, I, gosh, that's, yeah. Tourism kind of is an interesting addition to. When I went in, in Saigon, I brought, uh, you know, my dad started in Vietnam and uh, from his slides, I made some prints, but he took a series of pictures, like a 360 around the top of the Rex hotel. Okay. And so I brought those with me and took yeah. the same shots. Yeah. Oh, well, you have to go back and take the same. And it was, it was really fascinating what was, what was different, but also what was still the same. Same. You know, yeah. it was really yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. Well, that's neat. Good for you. That's, that takes a lot of energy and it's, that's a stressful thing to take yeah. students abroad under yeah. any circumstances, right? Yeah. But, uh, but good well, we were lucky and we went in between the semesters too. So um, yeah. I think that's actually, if I were to do it again, I would do it that way again. Right. Because um, it was a good ending. And then I still had a few weeks before, before school. And I didn't feel like, and the students were still invested because when you go in May, I feel like they're like, ah, I'm out, you know, I'm yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. not doing anything. Yeah. And <laughs> so it was a little different. Well, Brian, should we move into rapid fire? Let's uh, let's do rapid fire. And I do. I've got a, a few. of you know these. Some of these questions are variations on older questions. Got a few ones that we we haven't asked before. So uh, yes, interested to see how these go. Yeah. Uh, before we start, please tell us about your dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the little guy in the background there? So I'm dog sitting him. That's Mosley. Uh, one of my former volleyball players um, is in Puerto Rico right now. And so she um, asked if I could dog sit him. And so he cool. is, here. yeah. Um, and then my dog is down here sleeping and she's a chocolate lab golden retriever mix, oh. that's Coda. And she, if I could get her, come here, Coda. Oh, she's not totally knocked out. Hi. Um, yeah, she's the best dog in the world. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then I have a cat who's looking like cats do at the dogs, <laughs> um, sitting over here. Come here, bear. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Shaggy. Hey, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Very good. So uh so you said you started your volleyball coaching at Indiana. I had a cousin uh who played volleyball there, women's volleyball. Oh. Yeah, wow. her name she's older than me. Her name is Stacy Murr. Um but uh back in the day and uh, I have a, a a distant cousin who plays at Ohio State now. So, but they're all Indiana people. Like part of my family's from the really redneck portion of Indiana down in the way South. Um, (laughs) But, you know, Indiana's uh, volleyball is apparently a big thing there. It's pretty, Indiana volleyball is pretty good. Yeah. And, and uh, Midwestern girls are physically like kind of built for volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. So oddly, uh, the, the one, my cousin that plays at Ohio state right now, she's not large. So what's the, who's the little person like the, uh, she wears a different color shirt. Libero. Yeah. That's what she does. Um, but, uh, yeah. But all the pictures are, you know, her standing beside all these women who are like (laughs) six foot three, six foot four. And she's probably barely, I don't know, you know, five, 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 six. And she's taking the shots. That's the thing. That's the best position on the court. Like she just gets back, gets hammered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just runs around and just like goes after yeah. everything. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> so good for her. Well, Ohio State is an excellent program, so good for her. <laughs> That's great. All, All right, right, Sabrina. Okay. Um, you. You've you've listened to the podcast, so so you know what this is about. Remember that we'll ask you a series of, of, of questions and respond as quick as you can. We will comment and if not judge. Yeah, yeah. I'm bad so, at this. Yeah, go. All right. <laughs> Okay. 
I, I think this is the part that freaked Kara Buick out more than anything. Yeah. yeah. I think <laughs> I she was exhausted when we got done with it. <laughs> All right. So what's the best work of history that you've read recently? Recently, um, I have read um, Kathleen Bellows, Bellows, University of Chicago. She, her book on white supremacy that comes out of the Vietnam War, um, bring, bring the War Home or so, something like mm. that. Mm. Excellent, excellent, excellent read. Very good. Uh, what's the best work of non-history? Fiction, anything like that? Like we have time to read all these things, anything but certainly you're reading something really else. I not read for fun anymore, but Stephen King, I had the Mr. Mercedes. I read that recently. Hmm. Scared me as it, all of his stuff does. I, I have, a, I'm going to jump in here. I have a um, opinion that is usually unpopular. Stephen uh -huh. King, greatest American author ever. Oh, yeah, I might agree with you on that. And he like, puts out like a book a week. I was going to say, when you start looking at all the stuff that he writes, it's just like, yeah. it's mind blowing. I yeah. mean, and it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's good. I mean, again, 80s, 70s, Stephen King was the best, but this stuff still scares me. And then at the end, he kind of always gets somewhere like that I can't follow, but I'm still scared. So we're good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, TikTok. Yes or no? Uh, I, I have it on my Instagram. I don't know how to use it. I'm old. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't have TikTok, but my my kids really want it now. Um, and uh and I'm fighting, I'm fighting that battle. Um yeah. okay, uh, this this one goes back to your uh time working with the uh NCAA. Okay. Um name image likeness deals, great or destined to ruin college sports. Ruin college sports. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. The NCAA needs to do something, but, um, and athletes should be somehow paid. I'm, I'm not uh, like there, people are getting recruited with like, we can oh, yeah. a million dollars. That's crazy. Yeah. 18. No, no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can't do that. Well, now the transfer portals become a venue for that yeah. as well. Right. Yeah. And, yep. and they don't know how to stop, you know, boosters from basically just going out and recruiting people. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's going to ruin it. Yeah, I think it's not ruined already. I actually do, but yeah, I don't think it's good. Yeah, the wow. NCAA sports that that we knew growing up are 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 pretty much done. Yeah, yeah they're gone. Yep. yep. Well, um, I actually, I stole, I, and hey, Bill, I just stole your question. So you want to go back up to? No, that's four? all right. That's fine. <laughs> I, I'm, I, as you know, I'm very nimble and. Fluid, yeah, I just, I, it wasn't on, it I, wasn't intentional. I just, uh, I, no, I no, told you, right. I've got to go get glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Sabrina, what are you binge watching? Oh, um, so I've been binge watching the Shine Shining Girls on Apple and Working Moms on Netflix. I don't know. Oh, why. yeah. Working Moms is great. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Those. And I, of course, I did Bridgerton in like a day. I watch all of Bridgerton in like a day. I love Bridgerton. So, so you've watched Bridgerton, Bridgerton season two? Yeah. <laughs> have you have you not? I, I have not. This um, great. Okay. Straight. All right. All right. <laughs> I'll confess, I barely made it through season one. Ah, yes. I mean, it is probably. And good. I and I love myself a period piece. I, really? I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. I, I I struggled with it a little okay. bit. Well, but that's that's because most of many. I'll give it a chance. I'll give it a chance. Watched it for a specific character, but <laughs> but. Oh no! Hey, good. no, I'm all for some abs. I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm all in. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's that's yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. Uh, What's your, what do you think the best Vietnam film is? 
Oh, I heard you ask this to somebody else and I was gonna say, please don't ask me that question. I, yeah, you know, I don't like any of them. Wow. <laughs> I'll be, be really honest. Um, because I feel, I, I feel confused by, by most of them and the, their portrayal. So what, um, I think Full Metal Jacket is mm -hmm. one of the most powerful ones. I think the deer hunter, if it weren't so slow, um, yes. also really kind of hooks me, the, the story behind it. Um, I, I have a hard time watching, and that's mainly because me and war, um, like Platoon and, you know, I have a hard time watch, watching those because of, the, of, because of the reality of the gore. I just, I just have a hard time well, with see, it. To me, Platoon, Stone crammed in every single stereotype of the Vietnam yeah. War into two hours. Yeah, yeah. To me. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, I watched uh, The Five Bloods um, and I didn't love it. Um, and considering what I'm working on and what I'm teaching, I was yeah. really disappointed in that film. And I, I thought it was really interesting. I, I wasn't enthralled by it, but I thought it was very interesting. And I enjoyed yeah. seeing all the, the shout outs, you know, that yeah. Spike Lee did in it. Yeah, no. I, 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 it's like, that's, yeah. you know, Tar kind of Tarantino-esque, pay yeah. homage, right? To, to yeah. The, but I, I felt like he didn't do this, the story justice. And I don't, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a film critic, so I, I can't, if he ever hears this, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but I, he could be mean. <laughs> but um, I did not love it. And, and I wanted to love it. I was so excited right. when I saw that it was coming out. I was like, yes, finally. And I didn't, I didn't love it. So, yeah. So I don't think a great one has been done yet. That's that's a that's a film. I don't think. It's I still think done. "Go Tell the Spartans" is one of the better ones. I I, I heard you say that um, in the previous one. Yeah. Just, I don't know. I, that still holds up. Is uh, is as campy as Burt Lancaster was in that. <laughs> it it still still holds. Okay, man, yeah. your turn. All right, all right. Uh, biggest impact that COVID had on your life? Yoga. That's okay. Yeah. Oh, that, and that's kind of what I was doing at there. I mean, you know, when you're all, when suddenly we're spending time uh, in our homes, what, what kind of habits did you pick up? So I did a ton of yoga online and I painted every wall in my house and I enjoyed <laughs> every minute of both of those things. Okay. I actually really liked it for a while, for a while. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. I there, there was a time when it was really like, it was a novelty, right? Like, Oh, like we're, you know, you can be at home and we're doing yeah. stuff. And uh, yeah, like I binged uh, the office and yes. a ton of shows with my kids that, yeah. you know, otherwise would have never had the time to do that. But yeah. um, so I really got into zombie apocalypse shows during yeah. it because can, I watched, we, well, we watched contagion initially and was like, Ooh, this is what we're doing. You know, get got scared ourselves. And then, and then got into like this terrible, great show on Netflix called World War Z. Yeah. Awfully good. Yeah. It's, it's so bad. It's good. And I watched. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Zombie apocalypse. All about oh, it. Okay. Now this one's going to be tough. Okay. You can only listen to one artist or band for the rest of your life. Who is it? Prince. Really? That wow. quick? Just that like, quick. I've never asked that question. And you just <laughs> popped off right there. Prince. Prince is my, Prince is my guy. Dead or alive. Wow. My guy. And all yeah. of his I Yeah, that's my guy. <laughs> okay. All the time. I like it. Yeah. Wow. The Red Hot Chili Peppers would probably be a far second because I also love everything they do. So, yeah. 
<laughs> Did you see, um, I saw something online recently of like some news footage they found of Prince yeah. outside a, a strike when he was yeah, a kid. Yep. Yeah, yep. that was really cool. It was really cool. And he looked exactly the same. Yes. <laughs> so funny. Never ate. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right. We've already kind of touched upon this a little bit, but what's the best thing about working at an all-male college? Yeah. Um, I don't know how to how to say it. So the stu the comfortability of the students. I don't know how to say this correctly. They are so comfortable in their environment that I think that I get more out of them than I would at a co-ed co institution. And I don't know. They take on roles that, that I have not seen male students take on previously. Hmm. They're just, yeah, there's a comfort level. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I know it can go deeper. Anyway, I love Wabash. No, 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 I, that's just, I just, I <laughs> yeah. mean, to be honest, it's all women's schools are a little more common, although yep. they're kind of an endangered species as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, we have one here in Spartanburg, Converse College, okay. uh, that recently shifted to co-ed. Okay. Because they just kind of had to. And Brian, yep. speaking of Sabrina's gaming chair, <laughs> one of the big things they started was the gaming team. Oh, oh yeah, the, yeah, right. You know the sport, yep. sport, e, the sports thing. Esports. Esports. Thank you. Yeah, uh, they've started doing that as a way to recruit male students. Yep, and yep. it's actually been pretty successful. I'm yeah, sure. kind of cool. But yeah, all right. We end up with the uh, the, the very uh, meaningful and important, significant question of our time: uh, barbecue, pork or brisket. Um, I like, <laughs> come on, come on. To... so I love pork. I'm not supposed yes. to, pork, but I love pork and brisket yes. a little too tough at times. So pork. All right. <laughs> Boy, she's, she's, not had, keep... she's not had proper brisket. Are you keeping a tally? Cause I think pork is significantly pork, ahead. Pork is actually significantly ahead. All right. Um, that's great. You know, I, I edit, Brian, I, I edited, you know, Adam's episode yesterday yeah. and his, Sabrina, his, his, his diatribe slash treatise on, on barbecue was just amazing. <laughs> I mean, he just went off. I mean, oh, it was brilliant. It was, it was so good. All right. Having said that then and chosen poorly, uh -huh. uh, what's the best place, barbecue place around? Um, I wouldn't say there's a great barbecue place in Indy, and I don't know the names of places very well, but there's a place in Kansas City that when I used to coach club volleyball that we would go to that's like next to a gas station <laughs> that had the best barbecue I'd ever had. That that recommend that is a great recommendation because those places are usually the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the city, Missouri, it was, yeah, very, very good. That yeah. is awesome. <laughs> cool. See, that All wasn't right. so bad. You did fine. Yeah, yeah I did great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I answered most of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You did great. <laughs> so what do you think, Brian? Yeah, we can, we can, we can air this one. Okay. Yeah. I think so too. <laughs> I think we'll be fine. Yeah. And Hey, there's, I, I can't remember the name of it, but um, someone just published a book, I think with Chapel Hill on like the history of African-American barbecue. 
So really? it's got nothing to do with military history, but we might have to find that person and, <laughs> and get and get them on. <laughs> I feel like that's a requirement of your podcast. Yeah, I think I think we need to uh, we need to do that. <laughs> this actually, I just got this. Oh, is that the book? That's it. That's it. Right. Goodness. It's that yeah. It's UNC. Yeah, yeah. Black Smoke. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Yeah, I just got it. I haven't read it yet, but I just, that was on my summer, part of my summer. Is it, is it just recipes or? It, no, no it's, it's, it tells the stories of these recipes. guys. Okay. Yeah, and gals. What an awesome topic. There needs yeah. to be more pictures. There, there's not enough images, but. There's, there's a book maybe at the end of my career. Um, I've got to, I've got to build it up a little bit, let some time go by. But one of the things when you go, you see, when you go to Berlin now is all these hipsters in Berlin are trying to do American barbecue. And uh, there's, you know, there's all kinds of opportunities there to, to talk about, you know, cultural fusion and, and what they're getting right and what they're, they're doing horribly wrong. But um, yeah. Interesting. Do you Here, know- let, let me, let me read the title of this. Cause I just showed it since, since uh, no one's seeing this. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of forget that it's a uh, black smoke, African-Americans and the United States of barbecue uh, by Adrian Miller. Who's a James Beard Book Award winner? Wow, as well. Okay, UNC Press. That's a very cool title. Recommend. This has been great, Sabrina. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate the opportunity, Deb. Okay. And um, this was great. Really appreciate you being on. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Very- thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yes, it was. All right. Good luck okay. with the rest. All of the right. Yeah. Take care. Take care. That was good, man. Absolutely. Yeah. But what, what a story just going, just kind of bouncing around volleyball, you know, coaching, yeah. get, getting the, 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 the counseling degree and stuff like that. And then just kind of, kind of falling in to what, what she said was the hardest course she'd ever taken yeah. with, with Longley on the Vietnam war. And then voila, here you are. Yeah. And you know, I haven't, I haven't read her book. Um, I don't read a lot uh, that's not related to obviously what I write on and uh, just looking at the stuff uh, when I was, when I was doing the research for, for the interview questions, like, I want to read this, like this. It's really fascinating. It's uh, it's a great story, uh, especially how these high school kids basically decided they were going to try try to bring this kid over to the States. Yeah. I mean, it's just really looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And she's doing she's doing good stuff and um, really easy to talk to. I'm sure the students uh, there, you know, she said she had to prove her worth. Uh, I'm sure that wasn't too difficult because uh, she she's no, not great. at all. But yeah, but what a fascinating environment to to find yourself in. That's yeah. the job you got. Right. And right. And there you are. And well, she's she's really made her mark. Yep. with it. So uh, good, good honor. I, that was fun. That was really interesting. And just what a great, just positive, you know, yeah, outlook and everything. I, I really appreciated that as well. Not that we have a bunch of negative minis on, no. on our program anyway, but no, I feel, I feel like I'm going to have a nice rest of the day. Yeah. Well, I'm right. going to, I think maybe I can go to the gym now. Maybe she, the good vibe she sent our the good way. going to help you out. <laughs> and keep me from not tearing a rotator cuff or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, man. Well, everybody keep listening and everything and uh, we'll keep uh, 
posting some th throughout the summer with season two. So we appreciate all the support. Absolutely. Tell your friends. Military Historians Are People Too is produced, written, and hosted by Brian Feltman and Bill Allison. Music is written and performed by Bill Allison, who clearly is not BJ Lederman. Military Historians Are People Too is hosted on Anchor by Spotify. Check back soon for new episodes. Thanks for listening.